0: It's time. It's time. Passcode accepted. Outloading the Down South IT pod Hello everybody, glad to have you with me. This is Down South IT Podcast, my name is Clark, coming to you from the heart of Cajun country where it is spooky season, thankfully, and starting to actually cool off. I'm loving the weather right now, oh lord, lord, it is gorgeous and cold, well, kind of, well, cold considering where we are. And first and foremost, I do want to apologize for the lack of a show lab. Uh, for my last scheduled release. I was away on business for work and really couldn't record. (laughs) I didn't have time. And if I would have tried to do it in a hotel room, it would have sounded completely and utterly like crap. So I'm not going to do that because I know y'all expect quality and I hold quality uh, myself to a quality standard also. So... I would rather just not put nothing out that's substandard than, you know, and have to wait. So that's what we did. I went ahead and waited. So this is the penultimate episode after the hiatus from work. So we'll dig right in. And today we're going to be talking about RAM. Not only what it is, some of the things about it, how it works and that sort of thing, but how much you actually need depending on the device that you're in. And all of this will be up on the show prep. So you can check that out on the website, DownSouthITPodcast.com. Go hit that up and you can check the show prep link. It's right under the embedded player on the homepage. And while you're on the website, you can check out the projects, which happens to be the Raspberry Pi Christmas light controller. That Those few pages tend to get a lot of traffic right about now because everybody's trying to build that out for Christmas. You want to have it done beforehand, so if you're interested in building something along that line, that is a step-by-step tutorial. You can check that out. If you need to find a place to listen to the podcast, you can do that also. Just click the listen link or go downsouthitpodcast.com forward slash listen. Everything will be right there for you. You can pick your platform that you like to listen on and go from there. Just remember to like and follow. So whenever a new episode comes out, you will get notified. And last but not least, while you're on the website, you can check out my link to get upside, which is a nice little app that will help you save a little bit of money on gas and restaurants around your area. If you use my promo code, you do get a little bonus whenever you sign up. Also, I get a little bonus. So you help out the podcast on top of saving some money. Check that out at DownSouthITPodcast.com forward slash upside. So now jumping right back into the fun of the program, what exactly is RAM? We always talk about it, you need it in a computer, but what exactly is it? Our friends at Wikipedia have a long and boring definition, but basically what it suffices to say is RAM means it stands for random access memory. And what it basically is, it it is the active memory of whatever you happen to be running at the time. So if you're running an app or you're running a program on your laptop, that program is running in your RAM memory. So that way, any changes, anything that you do can be readily accessed and done. And when it saves, it saves to the hard drive, but all the actual activity while you're using that app or that program is basically held and done in your RAM. Now that is all well and said and good, but the bad thing is with that, the more you have open in the background, the more RAM you use, which means if you use it all, then everything starts to bog down. So, Therein lies the question that I will will answer at the end of the podcast, but we'll kind of run through a few of the different things you will hear about whenever you're talking about RAM, and mainly just kind of how to look for it, what to look for, the different speeds, all of that kind of thing. So we're going to get into that real quick. First up is going to be volatile versus non-volatile memory. Whenever you're talking about RAM, RAM is always going to be volatile memory, which means as soon as you take power away from it, whatever was stored there goes away. There is no saving it. It's done. It goes away. There is nothing to be saved. When you're talking about non-volatile memory, that kind of memory is like your hard drive or your SSD or any other kind of storage medium that you have. That is non-volatile. Whenever you take power away from it, If the data is saved on it, that data will remain there until it is either deleted or the disk goes to crap and you can't get anything off of it at that point. But the idea is basically when you take power off, when you turn off your laptop, turn off your phone, whatever, whatever's in RAM at that moment goes away. Now, when you do talk about RAM, you're mostly talking about three different types. You have SRAM, which is static RAM. You have DRAM, which is dynamic RAM. That's the most common one. And you have ECC memory, which is, it's a little bit different. It's used more in the server and enterprise space, but they do have some people that use it on desktop computers, but it's not, it's, it's not a very common thing. So basically what it is, static RAM data, when it's written onto that RAM stick is written with a transistor into the memory cell. Now the transistor is either gonna be off or on because of the cost of transistors and different things like that. Those RAM types are a lot more expensive to produce, but on the flip side, they use less power. When you're talking about DRAM or dynamic RAM, that's the most common. It stores data using transistors and capacitors. So a transistor will turn on and charge a capacitor the capacitor will stay charged or not depending on what data is there and that's how the data is stored in the ram until it needs to be recalled again and it goes from there those are a lot cheaper to produce but they do use a lot more power now the difference between not a lot of power and a lot of power is usually about a half a volt maybe one volt the charge that a regular RAM stick will use is 1.2 to 1.3 volts. You can undervolt if you really want to. Not recommended, but 1.1 to 1.3, maybe 1.4 at the high end is really pushing it. So you're not talking about a whole lot of voltage as far as these things go. Now, whenever you're talking RAM as far as your phone or your some, some tablets and different things like that, Then you get into the millivolts. So you're talking very, very minute charges that it takes to actually use and write and recall things from the RAM. So in these cases, it's basically millivolts versus volts. When you're talking ECC memory, the difference with that is it actually has circuitry built into it that if it detects memory errors as data is being written to it, it'll actually self-correct. And that's why a lot of servers use it with battery backups. That way, even if data is in the process of being sent to the RAM or from the RAM to your hard drive to be saved, it'll actually, any kind of discrepancies or errors or anything will be corrected. Then it'll be saved before power is lost. So ECC is more, a lot more used in server space, like I say, some Desktop will use it, but not very often. I mean, you probably could use it in like a home server or something like that But it's not a necessity and is definitely a lot more expensive than Your regular DRAM stick that you would use in a desktop or a laptop. Next up is channels. A lot of these you'll hear even if you watch YouTube or something like that or even Kinda in the the tech space, you'll hear single channel memory dual quad channel different things like that and basically that's how many sticks can be written to at one time if you're using single channel obviously it's just one ram stick can be written to at one time if you're using dual channel two two ram sticks can be used at one time now if you happen to be using a higher end pc a lot of times you will have space or even it might even be populated to have four ram sticks to give you your total amount and those will still be running in dual channel it will just write to two ram sticks at a time or read from two ram sticks at a time so even if you have four sticks it can still run dual channel and a lot of that depends on if your cpu and your motherboard will support it Most modern motherboards will support dual channel. Some of the bigger and kind of more expensive boards will support quad channel. It's not really something that's in the enthusiast space very often. It is very, very, very useful and pretty much almost a given in the server space. And servers and a lot of these higher end machines and stuff like that, data centers, they have CPUs with a lot of cores and a lot of those cores can be subdivided and used for different things. So what they end up doing is they have quad channel RAM. They can use four RAM sticks at a time, but they can have massive amounts of RAM. Some, of, some servers can have upwards of two terabytes worth of RAM. That is a lot. Most people don't have two terabyte hard drives, but these have two terabytes worth of RAM. And a lot of that is used for virtualization they'll use a virtual server and they'll just break up the cpu cores and the ram memory and they'll just kind of break it up so they can have lots of separate virtual computers on one giant server so you'll take four or eight cores and like eight terabytes of memory um eight gigabytes of memory excuse me That'll be one computer. Then it'll break up the next eight and eight, and it'll do it again. So, depending on what they're trying to do, they'll break it up into multiple different virtual machines so that all of those are accounted for, but not everybody is using the same memory. Not everybody's using the same cores. So, whichever machine it happens to be, it'll run on its own dedicated hardware and that way your performance is not going to lag but basically whenever you hear single dual or quad channel just know that that's how many ram sticks the motherboard can use at one time that's basically all you really need to know when it comes to speed and data there's a lot of different ram types but and graphics cards will actually have their own versions of ram just for graphics and ai processing but I can guarantee you that's a completely different podcast because they use a whole different form and all kinds of other weird stuff. So I'm not going to even get into that on this podcast. I may do that in a future episode, but for right now, just know that graphics cards and regular PCs or laptops or whatever, they use different types of RAM. That's kind of what I'm going at. You may hear the term DDR when it comes to ram and a lot of ram it whenever it's named it's actually named by the ram type the ram speed all of that kind of thing so you hear it called ddr4 2300 or ddr4 2100 or ddr3 1833 or something like that and basically what it is is the ddr part of it which stands for double data rate The DDR2, 3, or 4 is the RAM type, and the number following that is going to be the speed. All computers run on a clock cycle, which usually only lasts a millisecond or two. And what DDR does is it takes the standard clock cycle and it divides it up. So DDR2 will have twice, it'll do two reads and writes for each clock cycle. DDR3 doubled that. So it did four reads and writes per clock cycle. DDR4, it's up to eight now. So each successive generation, the transfer speeds got a lot faster. Now with that speed, there was a lot more, you could have a lot more memory per stick, per RAM stick, that would be viable to use. If you couldn't really read or write to you know two gigs worth of ram because it wasn't fast enough there's no point in having that much so with each successive generation of ddr2 ddr3 ddr4 the amount of ram that you could have on each stick of ram got a lot bigger so in ddr2 you can only have two gigabytes at the most ddr3 was 16 gigs ddr4 is 128 gigs I believe it's 256 now with DDR5, but it may be up, it may be even higher than that. I'm not 100% sure. DDR5 is still fairly new, and there's just a, a few CPUs and motherboards that actually will take advantage of it. It is a lot faster, but it does have a few quirks that DDR4 and DDR3 do not have. So, I uh, decided really not to jump into it too, too deep with this podcast here. But just know that DDR5 is the newest generation and it is quite fast. That's <laughs> that's kind of the the, the juxtaposition here. So, and again, depending on what type of motherboard you have, what generation motherboard, it will only support one type. So, if you have a motherboard that calls for DDR3 RAM, you can't put 2 or 4 in it it will only use DDR3. Same thing with DDR4 and it's not backward compatible. Each one has little notches on it and all of the notches are in different places. They have different amounts of pins on the bottom of them, so you can't go backwards as far as generations go. Now the the speed itself is going to be in megahertz. And again, like I said, most of the time, whenever you're calling RAM, you'd say DDR4-2300 or something along that line. The 2300 is the megahertz. So there's a lot of different speeds, a lot of different timings with different RAM. So depending on if you have to, if you ever have to replace RAM, always either buy a completely new pair of ram sticks that are the same timing same brand same everything that way you won't have any problems your most computers can mix and match ram speeds and stuff like that the only problem with that is whichever one happens to be the slowest that's what all the rest of them are going to slow down to. so if you have one that's way slower than the other ones then it's gonna everything's going to run at that much much slower speed Now, whenever you're talking slow RAM, that does mean that whenever you're opening stuff, when you're opening programs, when you're trying to save things, if you're moving stuff around, a lot of that kind of things, that'll cause stutters, that'll cause instability issues with your computer. So if things aren't stable, if it crashes, if it hangs up and freezes and different things like that, all of those could possibly be memory issues because your RAM is trying to either catch up or everything else is waiting on the RAM to either save or spit out the data that you're requesting. Now, again, you can technically install mixed RAM into a computer if that's all you had. It will go to the slowest one and it will cause you a little bit more overhead. So it's possible to do it. It's just not good practice to do it. So if you install one that's a say, DDR3-1833 and one that's a DDR1933, something like that, it'll actually go s- slow down the other one, the 1933 to 1833 megahertz. So it'll slow everything else down to whatever that slowest one is. So again, usually the biggest thing with these is if you have to replace any, Replace in either with the exact same brand and timings and speed that you have or Just update to a new brand with a synchronized pair. That way you don't have Nearly as many problems or potential for problems Now with RAM, it is possible to overclock. In fact, it's actually kind of a common practice to overclock RAM Most RAM is advertised as at least with DDR4 then the not the latest but the second latest generation most are going to be between 3000 and 3600 megahertz uh in speed but usually when you first install it especially a new kit it will actually slow down to 2133 and that's that's actually normal and that's a protection by the bios so you would actually have to go into the bios of your computer to enable any kind of overclocking to actually get the advertised speed of that RAM, which would be your 3200, your 3600, what have you. So it just kind of depends. And then on top of that, it depends on the manufacturer of your motherboard or if it's a pre-built, or if it's an aftermarket board. A lot of aftermarket boards will support doing memory overclocking kind of as a, a normal thing. Intel calls it XMP, and Extreme Memory Profile is what they call it, and it it basically just bumps it up to what the advertised speed of the RAM is. If you're going kind of the ASUS route or the uh, AMD route, they call it DOCP standard, which basically does the exact same thing and just kind of boost boost the clocks a little bit. So. They each have their own terminology and it depends, again, on the motherboard most pre-built and things like that. The BIOS will not actually even have those options to do that kind of thing. And it's just you have what you have. So but if you do have an aftermarket motherboard, chances are you actually do have the ability to overclock it if you wanted to upgrade. So that is an option if you do have that kind of capability and a word of caution before you jump into bios and start doing that kind of thing if you meander too far off the beaten path of just enabling xmp and getting that kind of thing set up and you start messing with timings and different voltages and different things like that because a lot of these motherboards will have a plethora of options to where you can overclock and undervolt and different things like that just be forewarned That if you get too far off, that will cause stability issues, freezing issues, crashes, different things like that. So memory overclocking is very much a science, but it is also an art. So if you are planning on doing something like that or kind of want to experiment in that, go in very, very minute increments as far as, you know, bumping up speed or voltage or anything like that. That way you can check for stability and see if anything actually does happen to crash or what have you. That way you're not actually doing anything really important and it won't crash on you while you're trying to save something like a document or pictures or something along that line. You want it to be stable. That's the main thing. And like I said, a lot of these BIOS uh, choices and preferences can lead to a lot of instability if you do the wrong thing or add too much voltage or there's a there's a lot of different things that could go wrong not necessarily anything wrong with you know causing fires or you know killing your hard drive or anything like that but stability issues are very much a possibility if you start messing with ram so now the big question how much is enough now in the case of most smartphones nowadays, you are getting anywhere from two to four gigabytes of RAM, which is more than enough to do most apps on any phone. The only thing that you might have some issues with on a phone as far as RAM goes is some of the larger games that are out there. Most apps are built to not really eat RAM too, too, too terribly much. Now, I think it is in the last few versions of Android for sure. It was recommended to have at least two gigabytes of RAM. I know in the older ones you could get away with one, but it was very, very slow, very awkward, very clunky. So if you have like a really cheap Android tablet that has an old version of Android on it and it has one gig of memory, one gig of RAM, that's not going to be a good time. I can promise you you want to stick with at least two, at least two if you can get more great but for between two and four you should be fairly fine you shouldn't have too much problem with that now as far as tablets go most ipads are going to have between three and six uh, you know kind of depends on which generation you have i know my the ipad that i have it is i think it's four, I believe it's four gigs of Ram, but most of it actually is used because of the way that iOS runs. They keep stuff, some stuff in Ram just so it's faster. So they do tend to use it a little bit differently than what most PCs would. So Apple's a little bit different on that, in that case. I know some of their phones, uh, I think the iPhone SE only has three, three gigs of Ram, maybe four. So you know, three to four for an Apple device is probably going to be plenty. Most of the newer iPhones do come with more than that. Most of them are coming standard with six now. So that's really all you would probably need as far as an iPhone goes. Now, when you're talking laptops and different things like that, I just had this issue with my laptop, the, the new one I just got, which the review is up on the website, down itpodcast.com Just kind of scroll down, you see the review for it. It's for the uh, HP Envy laptop. Nice laptop. It really was. The problem was it only came with 8 gigs of RAM. And I don't think that was really the problem. The problem was it was only one stick. So my solution, well, not that I really wanted to do it, but I ended up spending an extra 40 bucks and getting a full kit of 16 gigs of RAM and ran it in dual channel. That's made a world of difference. So most laptops, I think you can probably get away with eight gigs of RAM if it's running two sticks and running dual channel. That seems to run a lot smoother uh, as far, and maybe you could probably get away with eight in single channel with an Intel build because they're so focused on single core. Uh, Performance and different things like that. They're not very Great at multi-core Workloads and different things of that nature. So they're getting better granted. They're getting better and some of those Intel CPUs are very good at what they do But they do tend to run a little better in single channel if you do anything AMD wise they are a lot better multi-core and tend to do better in dual channel so it does kind of depend on the CPU and motherboard But 8 gigs should do you depending on how many sticks you have. When you're getting into, say, desktops and stuff like that, you probably could get away again with 8 gigs of RAM. It's pretty much the same situation as you would have in the laptops. If you're running an Intel CPU, you could probably get away with 8 in single channel, 8 in dual channel for an AMD build. But if you had the budget and could swing it, Updating to dual channel and getting 16 would definitely help at this point with the size of different programs and apps and the amount of resources that browsers and stuff use on laptops and desktops. Having eight is almost probably your bare minimum. 16 would probably be the target that I would shoot for if you can go higher than that. Great, if you have the budget for it, great. If not, I mean, you can a lot of with a lot of these get aftermarket kits for fairly cheap again for that kit that i got for mine it was a 16 gig kit dual channel 40 bucks it was not bad it was very easy to change not difficult at all i mean I, i really don't think anybody would have too much problem doing it the ones for desktops are even easier it's basically just a couple of tabs on each side pop the old one out pop the new ones in boom you're done it's very simple so even if you have something now that has eight gigs, but you do want to upgrade and kind of get a little bit more speed and a little bit more stability out of your current setup, it's very easy to do. The most difficult part is going to be trying to find either a kit that will fit your computer at the, this point or trying to find a matching RAM stick that can you can just easily add in. Luckily, most of the documentation for pre-built and motherboard manufacturers all have that kind of information laid out online. So doing a little bit of research can go a long way as far as figuring out what you need. And then you can go to, say, Amazon, Newegg, different places like that, even Best Buy, picking up the amount of memory that you would need to do an upgrade and do it fairly quickly. So there you have it. And I will have all of this information up on the show prep. So you can go check that out. Downsouthitpodcast.com. Look for the show prep link underneath the embedded player. You can hit it up right there and kind of go through all of these different terms and what they mean and different things like that. If I kind of went a little fast, because I kind of ran through everything kind of quick today. So if you do want to read up on it again, double check that if you need to hit me up, use the link at the the little table at the bottom. There's a email form at the very bottom of the homepage, or you can just hit me up on an email down it at gmail.com. And I'll try to point you in the right direction. So we'll go ahead and end it. Like I always do paraphrase from Albert Hubbard, technology can replace the work of many people, but it can never replace the work of one extraordinary person. So go out and be extraordinary today. Thank you all for listening. I'll catch you right here on the next episode of the Down South IT Podcast. I love you. I'll see you next time. Later.